Well, good morning. Wow. Yeah, okay. I didn't hear you. <laughs> Anybody want to come join me for lunch? I mean, uh, um, we're in Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 through 10, the marriage of the Lamb. Just to give you an idea where we're headed, we'll continue Revelation to the end of October, then we'll go into Thanksgiving and then Christmas. And we'll have two chapters left, well, maybe two and a half chapters left of Revelation. I want to continue that in New Year, so hopefully by March at the latest, we have plowed through the entire book of Revelation. Obviously, we took breaks, and I want to thank you for your patience and your kind words, this book has stretched me uh, a lot of ways I never saw coming. Um, but I'm a better believer for it. Uh, God has really shown me a lot of things. And uh, the book does give us a blessing at the end. Whoever reads this and studies this is blessed. In the way of introduction, I like to quote to you an author by the name of John Elridge. He's an American author. He's a counsel and also lecturer. Now, he wrote the books, Wild at Heart, Epic, and uh, Sacred Romance. Now, in Sacred Romance, he shares the pain of not belonging. Now, I haven't committed this to memory, so I'm going to be looking down because I want to quote him correctly. He's sharing the pain of not belonging. He writes, quote, Being left out is one of life's most painful experiences. I remember the daily fourth grade torture of waiting in line while the captains chose their teams for the kickball games. As each captain took turns choosing a player, descending from the best to the worst, our rank and fourth grade society was reinforced. Those others fared worse than I. Don't make us take Smitty. We had him the last time. I was never the first to be chosen. No one ever said, wait, we'll get Elbridge this time. I didn't feel wanted. At best, I was tolerated. And then there was the junior high cafeteria. After buying lunch, you carried your tray into the dining room, looking for a place to eat. There was an unspoken hierarchy that determined where you could sit. I'd walk over to the table filled with the cool kids. But before I could sit down... One of them sneered, not here, Eldridge. We're saving this for somebody else. End of quote. Throughout our lives, each one of us have lived with a constant nagging that we never quite fit in. We will never truly belong. We have enough experience to teach us that we'll be never allowed into that, quote, sacred circle End of quote. On the other hand, there is a joy of having someone saving a place for us. When you walk into a crowded room and you don't know anybody there, but yet a a hand comes up and waves you over. And as you're walking over, they point to the chair he or she has saved for you and pull it out and you're seated and he scoots you up to the table. You feel welcomed. You feel Loved, you have a sense of relief, a taste of being on the inside. With that said, consider the words of Jesus found in John 14, the last part of verse 2. 
he tells us, I go to prepare a place for you. When we walk into the marriage supper of the Lamb, we will be welcomed by the Lord himself. There will be a seat with your name on it, held open at Jesus' command for us and no other. That leads us to the title of the message, The Marriage of the Lamb. Look at verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper or feast of the Lamb. In verse 7, now, before I read that, this is still picking up on what we heard last week. The multitude in heaven shouting, what? Hallelujah! And in verse 7, we see the last line. They shout out, let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him. We talked about the fourfold hallelujah last week in verses 1 through 6. And now they're urging each other to rejoice and to be glad and to give God the glory. In fact, I think Roger did that already, not those exact words, but encouraging us urging all of us to rejoice and to be glad. And you may say, how can I rejoice and be glad when I see what's happening in the world? We can rejoice to be glad because God is still in control and he gives us the peace that passes all understanding that no matter what happens in this world, nothing, no power of man, no scheme of hell can pluck me out of my Father's hand. That's where we can rejoice and be glad and give him the glory. To give him the glory is to describe all that is noble, all that is just, all that is righteous, all that is good to him and to him alone. And that's not to say there's nothing good or noble rising from us, mankind, but human goodness or nobility is to God like the light of the moon. The moon itself has no light, it is dark. The only time it shines light is with the help of the sun. When the sun hits the moon, it reflects the light of the sun back on to the earth. A beautiful thing to see if you see the full moon at night. And living out here in the country, you can actually walk out and see the stars and the moon. I started thinking about that. And uh, about a year or so ago, I came across a song by Chris Tomlin. says, uh, the title of it is Be the Moon. Now, let's listen to the first chorus and the chorus of this song. I'm not going to sing it. I'm going to say the lyrics. You are the Lord of all creation, God. You made me in your image. And I'm just a reflection of the love that I've been given. Everybody wants to be somebody. I want to be somebody too. If I'm going to be known for something, I want to be known for you. I want to be the moon up among the stars, flying around the world, lighting up the dark. I'm nothing without the sun, S-O-N, sun's amazing grace on everything I do. If you're shining on me, I'll shining right back for you. I want to be the moon, Lord. I want to be the moon for you. Isn't that what we're supposed to do as Christians? Reflect God's glory and reflect his light, reflect his majesty. All our goodness or nobility is only a matter of the grace of God. And in Matthew chapter 5, five, verses 14 through 16, this is what Jesus tells us. You are the light of the world. 
Now, don't look at me. Turn and look at each other. I mean, maybe I shouldn't just make you, well, you may not do this. Turn the person next to you and point to them and say, you are the light of the world. You are. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what we're called to do. There's nothing good in me. I'm just simply reflecting that light from the Father. Just like the moon reflects the light from the sun back on earth. And it's interesting, too, because depending on the position of the sun and the moon uh, determines if you have a half moon, quarter moon, or a full moon. And that's the same with us. Our relationship with Christ. There is our relationship. If everything is going good, we should be a full moon reflecting our complete light. But there's times when things happen and we'll be a quarter or maybe a half. But nonetheless, we are called to shine his light, his goodness, his glory, his majesty. Now, if you look back in verse 7, we see the reason to rejoice and to be glad and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. We see in the text, as bride has made herself ready, she has prepared herself. Her attire, her dress, her garment is fine linen, bright and clean or pure. And we're told the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints or represents the righteous acts of the saints. Now, who's the saints? Who, how, many, how many people are believers in Christ? You are the saints. You are the holy ones. Not because you've done anything other than pressure, put your trust in Christ and his shed blood covers you. And because of that, you are holy. Now, before we go any further... Let us consider some wedding customs of the day. Back in those ancient times, family was real important, of course, but you realize they didn't have stores back then. They didn't have Walmarts they could shop in, so they had to rely on growing their own crops, taking care of their own livestock. And, of course, that part of the world uh, is very hard because it's really dry And so when they shared a meal with somebody, that was a big deal because they're sharing what they had for their family with you. So as the course went along, parents of the boy and the girl would come together, and they were arranged marriages. Now, during this time, they're arranged on a price to be paid because the parents of the girl, they're losing her. They're losing someone to help with the chores around the house. So they would be paid to compensate. Usually a dowry was what it was called. And so they would negotiate the price. And once that was agreed upon, for all intents and purposes, that young man and that young lady were married. Then the young man would go back with his father, and he would prepare a place for him and his bride to live. Attached right on, he'd build a place they could raise a family, maybe have a bedroom or so to prepare it already. So when all that was ready to go, he would go back into the village where his bride was. Now, there are many young ladies in that village already betrothed, so they always had to be ready to see if that was their groom coming to get them. So you imagine that this young man walked in, all the young ladies go, is that, is that my man? Is he coming to get me? 
And he would come get her. And they would march. This wedding processional would march back to his village where they would celebrate sometimes up to a week and feast and have a great time. And then at one point, the young man and young lady would go back into a private place, into a room, consummate the marriage. No, there would be a person at the door, wouldn't be looking in at them and announce it to the people outside and they would party and have a great big festivity about this marriage. Now think about how that mirrors our Lord. He's come down. There was a price to be paid, but only a perfect person could do it. Only he could pay that price. So he's paid the price to purchase his bride. And he told us he's going away to prepare a place for us. That's where he's at right now, preparing a place for us, his bride, so we could be with him forever. And now, like those young ladies were in the waiting period, is today going to be the day when he comes to take me home? Is it today? It could be today. Always watching and always waiting. And in the meantime, inviting everybody else we know to come with us by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The bride presented to the Lamb, which is Christ, is the New Testament church. It consists of every truly redeemed human. Now, exactly when and where this takes place, it's not mentioned here. If you come tonight, I can tell you some views people have, but I don't have the time to talk about that right now. But for the sake of the text, it does not tell us in our text this morning. But in every culture, there's always a bride being presented. In every culture, when it comes to marriage, a bride is presented to the groom. Even in our day and age, what happens? Uh, they say it's bad luck to see the bride before the wedding. What happens? The groom and the party, well, see, first you come in, everybody's seated, and then you have uh, the bride party, I mean, excuse me, the groom party come in, usually from the, me to my left, but to your right. And as a minister, I take the first, I'll be standing here, and then the groom, the best man, so on and so forth. And then the, the girls kind of march in, and all the brides may start with a maid of honor. And then what's the last thing that happens? The music changes. The music is very serious, very bold. And I ask everyone to stand. Who comes in the room? The bride. Dressed to a T. This glowing in her beauty as she is presented to her groom. Dearly beloved, that's how we're going to be presented to our groom, which is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. That's who we are. The Lamb purchased the bride through his atoning death on the cross. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? whom you have from God, and that you're not your own? For you have been brought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Jesus paid my sin debt. He paid the price that I should have paid. Saved me from the grave. Saved me from the results of sin. Therefore, I do not, my life doesn't even belong to me anymore. It belongs to Him. We have been bought with a price. 
And in verse 8, look what it says. Once again, talking about how the bride is dressed. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean or pure. Again, emphasis on grace and redemption. The righteousness of the church, those who make up the bride of Christ, it's not a required, acquired righteousness, but a bestowed righteousness. So everything we have is given to us by God. You are righteous, justified before God because of the atoning death of Christ. Even my faith is not my own, the Bible teaches us. It's because the Holy Spirit has revealed it to me. And look what it says in verse 9. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You know, everyone's invited. God so loved the what? Everybody's invited. But the tragedy is, not everyone will come. The invitation to come to Christ is open to everybody. Doesn't matter your level of education. Does not matter your ethnicity. Does not matter your gender. Does not matter where you live, who your parents were. It's open to everybody to simply come. But not everyone will receive that free invitation. It says in verse 9, the angel speaking to John to give him that command to write that. Now there's a parable in Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically, in that parable, the groom to Delays his coming. And some members of the broader party are foolish and take no oil with them. But the wise or the prudent ones do take oil with them. Well, they all get drowsy. That's oil for their lamps. They all get drowsy and fall asleep. And then there is a shout, the groom is coming. The foolish people ran out to see where they get more oil. They ran out of oil. They're asking the prudent ones, no, we, you can't take our oil. We have enough for us. They go out and they try to find it. And when they come back... They found out they've been excluded from the marriage supper. And on verse 13 of Matthew chapter 25, it states, Be on the alert, for you do not know the day nor the hour. There is an urgency about the gospel. Because we do not know the hour or the day when the groom is coming back. You not put off to tomorrow what you can do today. I've said this a million times. I'll say it again. We always talk about how much control we have. There's two things I can think on the top of my head we have no control over. A time of our own physical death. Yes, we can take care of our bodies. We can go see the doctor. and There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a point in time when our bodies will perish. Second thing, greater than that, the time of Christ's return. We do not know. It could be in the next five minutes. It could be next week. It could be another five years from now, another ten years from now. And what I will say in context of what happened yesterday with Israel, I think God is shooting a round over the bow trying to get our attention. Hey, time is running out. Things are being put in place. Are you ready? 
Therefore, those who are invited to the marriage supper are truly blessed. And in verse 10, John gets all wrapped up in what he's seeing. He says, I fell at his feet to worship him, the angel. But he said to me, do not do that. These circumstances were so monumentous. Now you have to go back to verse 1. All the shouting, all the praising of God, and all that circumstance that John was in, he falls prostrate at the angel's feet. Probably before he even thought about the whole thing. But the angel forbids the action of John. What does he say? Look back in verse 10. The angel tells John, I'm a fellow servant of yours and your brethren who hold the, to the, who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Don't worship angels. Worship God. Now that word testimony refers to someone who has seen or experienced something to be the case. John and his brothers are therefore witnesses and the bearers of the testimony to the plan and purpose of God for redemption in Jesus. Consequently, God is the only appropriate object for worship. Likewise, we hold to the testimony, although Scripture says we're even more blessed because we didn't see Jesus when he physically walked the earth, but we have read the testimony of the eyewitnesses. We have believed by faith that he is who he is. Therefore, we also witness to his goodness that he does in our lives every single day. Now, you, might, you need to know Scripture when you lead someone to Christ, but the greatest thing that you have is your personal testimony of what God has done, what God is doing, and what God will do in the future. Make it personal. Let me tell you what Jesus means to me. Let me tell you what Jesus has done for me and my family. Now that word prophecy that we find in verse 10, because the angel goes and says, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. That Greek word is prophetia. Arises from the combination of a speak, and before, which is pro. Essentially what it means is speak for God before. But the appropriate question becomes and speak before what? It can mean to speak about an event before it happens. It also can mean to speak about the events and purposes and acts of God before listeners. The use of this word in this context, both of these meanings are paramount. The spirit of both the proclamation and the telling of the future is bound up in the testimony of Jesus. And we see it in the book of Revelation. When you witness to somebody, you're telling and you're proclaiming who Jesus is, but yet you're also telling the future. When we take the Lord's Supper, we are looking back. We're proclaiming his life. We're proclaiming to be about his death, what he did. But we're also proclaiming his resurrection. We're also proclaiming because of his resurrection, he is coming again to take us home. That's all bound up when we observe the Lord's Supper. Jesus the Lamb is not simply a chronology of last things. It's the theme of the Revelation. As biblical scholar Walford declares, quote, this means that the prophecy at its very heart is designed to unfold the beauty and the loveliness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us rejoice and be glad and give to him the glory for the wedding supper of the Lamb 
has come. There is joy when someone saves a place for you, isn't it? I'll pick on myself. If I'll tell Tammy to meet us one of our favorite Tex-Mex places, she loves Tex-Mex food. She'll eat it day and night, she'll tell you that. And I say, I'm there, I'll get us a table. Now, imagine if I'm sitting there, I see her walk in the room, but I don't do anything to get her attention. In fact, looking at my cell phone, not paying one iota when she's coming in. And to make that worse, she probably texts me, hey, I'm pulling into the parking lot. But I sit there. I don't do anything. Other than being mad at me, I'm assuming I'm correct on that, how else would she feel? Unappreciated, unwanted, maybe even a little unloved. But imagine if I did things different when she walks into the room. I raise my hand, hey honey, I'm over here. And even maybe walking towards her, to kind of guide her to the table, because the place is crowded. You've been to places like that, haven't you, where the tables are so close you have to turn sideways? So I'm helping her find her way to our table. And then I pull out the chair, I help her be seated, and I scoot her up to the chair. Now, how does she feel after that? Appreciated, feels cared for, feels treasured and cherished. Hey, Tim loves me. He's waiting for me, and he had a place picked out just for me. You go to the wedding supper of the Lamb, this huge table is going to be prepared. And Dal, you're going to walk in, and the Lord will say, Dal, come here. This place is just for you. Pulls out the chair, you sit down, and you scoot up. I want to make this as personal as possible. We serve a very personable God. He's not some force out there, if you will, causing things to happen or not to happen, but he's, he's very interested in all of us. He's interested in your day-to-day activities. He cares. He wants to be with you when you go to the doctor. He wants to be with you when you celebrate anniversaries and birthdays. He wants to be with you when you're sitting in traffic He wants to be with you when they got bad news over the phone. He is literally walking with you every step of the way. And Jesus makes this promise, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will be with you every step of the way. You ever heard that poem about sand on the beach? You walk the beach. Tammy and I love the beach. And we're walking. We'll make footprints. We'll look back and see our footprints in the sand. I can't quote the poem by memory, but basically what it talks about is this guy walking with the Lord on the beach. And as they're walking along, they're making footprints in the sand. And as they're walking along, he turns around and he knows there's only one set of footprints in the sand. And when he sees those one set of footprints, those are times of his life where he needed the Lord the most, going through crisis, going through some stressful situation. He turns to the Lord, Lord, where were you in those times when I needed you the most? When I lost my job, when my wife was diagnosed with cancer, all these things, where were you, Lord? And the Lord simply responds, 
Those are the times when I carried you. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper feast of the Lamb. Are you been, you've been invited. Have you accepted the invitation? God has done everything he can possibly do. Sin had to be dealt with. He made a way through his son. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit to help us in our walk, to be faithful, to discern scripture for us, to help us to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. He has given us each other, the church, for people like-minded who share that same faith to walk beside us during times of just doing life. We can laugh and cut up like we do sometimes. We can applaud and be happy and at times cry out and cry with each other. It's all up to you. Have you accepted that invitation? He will reject nobody. You come to him just as you are, he will clean you up. And if you've done that, that's wonderful. How's your walk with the Lord now? Are you carrying a backpack full of guilt for sins you asked forgiveness of a long time ago? And God's forgiven of you, but you just can't forgive yourself. That's weight. You know, in conclusion, and I'm guilty of this, so many times in a worship service, I'll be carrying a backpack like this, and Tammy and I may come down, or I may do it myself, and I just lay it all down. But you know what the problem is? When the service is over, I have a tendency to pick it right back up. Put it at the foot of the cross and leave it there. Now, I'm not saying to make light of sin. We need to confess and repent from it. But I think a lot of us, if not all of us, have a hard time forgiving ourselves. And that will lead into a, a behavior problem that can cause more and more problems down the way. Stop listening to the voice of the enemy that tells you you're no good, that you're not worth it. He doesn't love you. Listen to the voice of truth that says, I love you. I'll lay down my life for you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I shall give you rest. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for the gift of your son. We look forward to that wedding feast, that supper, when we, the bride of Christ, will be united with him, our groom. Oh, what a time of celebration that will be. Time of reunion with loved ones who have gone on before. But more important than that, to see the one face to face who took the nails for me.
Father, as we think about that time of great rejoicing, we also can't help think about those who still need to, to accept the invitation. Father, we want to reflect your light. We want to be the moon reflecting your light and your goodness into a dark and cold world. Father, I lift those up within the sound of my voice that are carrying different burdens, different struggles. And Father, will you give us all the boldness and the courage just to come before you lay it down? and to admit and confess to you we just can't do it anymore. Father, I ask that you grant rest and peace to your people. We love you and we adore you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.